good, thank you. So, Sorry, it was my accent too thick there. It was a little thick, but uh, I'll get used to it. You keep speaking. Good. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's been my experience, that increasingly I need the presence of God and the love of God to love well. Uh, and that's what we're going to speak about this morning. But David, if you would just show that first slide of mine, I'd uh, appreciate that. Some of you may not know me or you're visiting this morning. Uh, my name is Brett uh, Andrews. I work with Youth for Christ Canada, training uh, staff across the country. And we've had a huge challenge over the past three years where our staff has grown from 350 people to over 725. So um, it's a big, big role. And there's been a lot of change and it's been pretty exciting, to be honest. There's a few days that are scary. And uh, I also teach at a Bible college in Kitchener. Uh, quarter time. So that's what I do. I'm a guest this morning. Chris is somewhere enjoying his vacation, I hope, probably at the cottage. And uh, so that's where we are. Every year in May with Youth for Christ, we do something called Summer Institute. And we did it this year and we invited a, a number of people from uh, different nations around the world. And uh, you'll see me there. On the left is Abner Hernandez, who's from Ecuador. Beside him is Sasha, or Alexander is his real name from Ukraine. And then on the right is uh, Josue uh, from Costa Rica. So we had this great experience where these people came together in an eight-day intensive training time, and it was fantastic. And then uh, something happened after that where the director of Latin America Youth for Christ said, uh, to, invited the Canadians to come down to Ecuador um, to do a similar thing, an eight-day intensive thing for people in Ecuador. And so we're going to do that for 20 to 25 leaders in Latin America and Ecuador in March. Uh, and I tell you that because you folks are kind enough to uh, pray for me, and you're kind enough to donate financially to our ministry of Youth for Christ, and so I thank you. I just want you to know um, that what you're giving to and what you're praying for, God is using and it's multiplying, and now we've got this opportunity to train 20 to 25 leaders in Latin America, Central America, Caribbean, and South America. So it's pretty exciting, and I'm looking forward to that, and admittedly a little scared. Uh, that's what tends to happen with these things. I also want to thank you. Um, I think it was, yeah, near the end of April, we had Mahar El-Hajj here. Do you remember Mahar from Lebanon? And uh, things are going great in their ministry in Lebanon. There's still significant challenges. But I don't know if we ever told you folks how much we raised that day uh, because we took up an offering. Have we ever said that here? Um, I want to tell you this just because I love your generosity we raised $4,538 for the ministry in Lebanon on that one morning. So um, from Maher and uh, others of Youth Great, we appreciate it very much. Thank you. We're part of God's mission together. And uh, I, I'm glad we're in it together. Let us look, if you do have your Bibles with you, I want to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 3. And there's this, some of you will be familiar with this prayer that Paul prays. And I love reading and studying prayers, and um, there was a time in February, I believe, I was in a coffee shop, and David, if you could show that next slide, I was in a coffee shop in Burlington, and I went up to get my coffee, and on the wall, there was this statement, which I love, and I had to think about quite a bit. It says this, the hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. And I got to thinking, is that really true? The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. 
It's interesting, some research has been done in the last few years that tells us if we dist distribute differently the food that we have and so on, that we could easily feed the, the entire world. But yet there are still people who wallow in loneliness. There are people who still wallow in mistreatment who don't know that they're loved. And so I got to thinking about that statement, and a lot has been asked recently, particularly on social media and uh, built by Bill Mahar and, and others um, who are skeptical who say this, um, is the love of God really known? And, and they say that we can be good and loving without God. And I ask, is, is that true? Can we be good and loving without God? And I think we can, actually, to an extent. But, but here's my experience. Here's where I land, is that my capacity to do that is extremely limited. My capacity to love other people and to experience the love of God is limited because of who I am and all my frailties, and you'll hear a bit more about that as we go along. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to begin at verse 14 and read to 21. I don't know if it'll be up there or not, so listen well. Now, there's some very interesting words and some interesting things that happen in this passage, so I just want you to listen, because it's easy to read through it and kind of gloss over it or skip, uh, but there's some really key words, there's some contrast, there's these concepts that are really interesting that Paul talks about, and he talks about for a reason. So I just want us to call those to mind as I read here. And he says this in the first three words, he says, for this reason... And it's interesting when we get to Scripture that it, it doesn't just show there, and sometimes we see it um, up on the screen and we think, you know, what's the context? What happened before? And I just want you to understand this little piece. Uh, it, it's not little. I actually want you to understand this huge piece that what Paul has talked about in the book of Ephesians before he's gotten here is that uh, God has provided a way so that every person on earth, not just Jewish people, but Gentiles, that means everybody else who's not Jewish, everybody, Christ he has provided Christ as a way for us to approach the Father with confidence, and he's provided Christ for us as a way to receive salvation. So he set up the stage that way for this reason. And he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you want to skip ahead to two slides, please, David, that would be great. Or at least to the next one. Thank you. John Stott has said this, that the roots of Christian character are to go down deeply and its foundation is to be firmly laid, and love is the means of both. You're probably going to have to get your head around that for a second, too. 
The roots of Christian character are to go down deeply, and its foundation is to be firmly laid, and love is the means of both. What he's saying there, and he's asking this question, or, or we can ask it today, is are we as believers marked by the fact that we love well? When people in our culture or people in our families encounter us, do they say, there's a person who loves well? Wouldn't that be nice to have somebody say that about you? That person is loving. Great. There's a book out right now by David Brooks called The Road to Character on the bestsellers list at chapters, the Globe and Mail, all those different kinds of things. And in The Road to Character, he challenges us and himself to rebalance the scales between our resume virtues, achieving wealth, fame, and status, and our eulogy virtues, those that exist at the core of our being, kindness, love, bravery, honesty, or faithfulness, focusing on what kind of relationships we have formed. Wouldn't it be great if people said before our eulogy that that person is a loving person? That it didn't have to be said once we were already gone? I don't know about you, but I would love that. And can we be good? Can we be loving without God? I think we can to a certain degree, but our capacity is limited. Every now and then I get overwhelmed. I can't think about how in the world I can possibly love somebody. And that's where I recognize that I need this strength. In that passage, Paul actually prays that we would have the power of God to love people. It's like somebody, and this happened a few years ago, there was a float in a major parade. I think it was the, uh, the Macy's Parade, the Santa Claus Parade in New York City. And there was a float uh, from the Standard Oil Company. In the middle of this parade, you have to understand that this is televised every year on, uh, across the United States in particular. So millions of people watch this. And what happened in the middle of the parade is that this float by Standard Oil Company ran out of gas. Isn't that ironic? And that's what kind of happens to us sometimes when we try to do this by our own power. We run out of gas despite our best intentions. C.S. Lewis has said this in his book, The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Because to love is to be vulnerable. I want to talk in the next few minutes this morning about our capacity to love. And this is our starting place. This is our, if you get nothing else today, this is my main point here, okay? In case it gets lost in what I say. The roots of Christian character are to go down deeply, and its foundation is to be firmly laid, and love is the means of both. So our four points this morning I want to talk about is that we are strengthened. And we're strengthened to love, secondly. Third, 
knowledge. And this knowledge needs to be experienced, not just head knowledge. It's knowledge that needs to be known in the heart. And then finally, fullness. In increasing measure, we dwell deeply in God. Let's look first of all at the word strengthen. Now in his uh, prayer, Paul begins, it's, it's a Trinity prayer. He says, the Father, through the Spirit, with Christ dwelling in us. And he talks about this posture of kneeling. Now you have to understand that in Paul's day, you just didn't do that. And we don't do it a great deal, but probably more than they did at that time. But there's this posture where we kneel before God, and we do that because by that we are saying, I cannot do this on my own. I surrender to what you want to do to me or for me. I need your strength. I need your power. So we kneel and we say, God, I just can't do this. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but because I run proud a lot. And I don't often get to the place where I finally kneel down before God and say, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Please, please enter. Please take charge of this situation, this circumstance, because I don't have a clue what to do. And he uses this very interesting phrase in the passage. He says, so that Christ can dwell in us. And it's, really under, it's, it's key to understanding this whole passage to learn what this word dwell means. There's two different ways to understand it or two different ways that it's used in Scripture. I'll spare you the Greek words. But one means it's something that is temporary. It's a, it's a state of somebody who like, doesn't have permanent status, but they just have a temporary status. That's one way that the word dwell is used. But that's not the way that Paul is using it here. What he's saying is it means to settle down somewhere, to be rooted. Dwelling is permanent. In other words, dwell in Christ deeply, richly, permanently. Set your roots down. This is something that Christ has done in you. He's come to settle by his Holy Spirit in your life for those who believe, who trust in him. He dwells within us. So when he says, so that Christ may dwell in you, understand this, that it's not a temporary thing. He's not just wanting us to come to him on rare occasion to pass by, to be there in a temporary status. What he's doing is saying, no, pray without ceasing. Day in, day out, as you rise in the morning, as you go to sleep at night, remember that I am with you. Dwell deeply in me. He's trying to get across this idea, don't settle for this superficial relationship. Go deeply permanently. Let it make a difference. He also says this about being strengthened. I'm going to read from the uh, um, message version. I don't know if any of you ever read this. This is Eugene Peterson's rendering of scripture. And he just, uh, I love the way he says it here. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. And I ask you to, I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit. Not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. Did you catch that? Not a brute strength, but an inner strength, a glorious inner strength. Now we tend to hear a lot about in, the, in our world the type of a strong person or a strong leader. And what that often means, unfortunately, is that that person is a domineering person, that sometimes they can be a bully. What Paul's praying for here, he's saying, no, that you might be strengthened, not with a brute strength so that, you're, you know, so that it manipulates people, but you have this deep 
conviction, this deep understanding that God will strengthen you. He will make you persistent. You will enjoy his goodness. He will give you that kind of strength. It's a key word here. And I'm convinced um, that our world deeply wants that kind of strength. It wants that kind of strength that when they meet a person who says that they are a believer or who indicates in whatever way imaginable that they are a believer, they're not looking for somebody who just stands and shouts. They're not looking for somebody who condemns others, which often a lot of our social media denigrates to. But they're looking for somebody who will stand up with clear conviction and say, I'm willing to love, and we'll do that with persistence, we'll do that with beauty. To be strengthened. We're not strengthened just so that um, we can enjoy that ability, that deep faith. We're strengthened to love. I want to talk about that second word. And Paul uses a couple of interesting little images here. He talks about being rooted and established. Two different metaphors that are both interesting. And they both indicate something that, again, is not to be superficial. You know, a rooted, like you think of a deeply rooted tree that spreads out across your backyard or across the land. It's not something that you're going to knock over easily. It's something that's fortified. And then he uses the word established, which is actually an architectural term. And I was reading um, something interesting about building that they were doing in New York City. And they're talking about building these hundred story high skyscrapers. And they use something called piles, uh, where they put these in the ground. And these piles, which are reinforced steel beams, sometimes go under the ground. How far do you think to support a 100-story high skyscraper? 25 stories. So the idea is that this building that you see and marvel at and that kind of looks down upon other buildings around it, it has very deep roots. It is established 25 stories under the ground. So when we have our relationship with Christ and we establish it, it's secured so that cracks will not appear, so that it will last a lifetime, so that it will be a beautiful thing that speaks of who Jesus is, to be rooted and established. Now, a number of years ago, I was at a conference, and there was a guy named Tony Campolo, who you may not hear speaking at the conference. And Tony Campolo, um, he's been controversial for sure in the Christian world. Uh, he's said some very challenging things. He doesn't particularly care what people think. He's not there to please them. Uh, but he's a fascinating speaker, uh, and I think he's in his early 80s now. A few years ago, I was at this conference. At the end of his speaking... Uh, I went up there, with, as a number of people did, and I stood in line because I wanted to toss, talk to him, and he invited people to come and ask questions. And he, understand this, that throughout his career, he's taken an awful lot of criticism. So there I was, standing with uh, Tony Campolo, and it, it was my turn, and finally I said, Mr. Campolo, it seems that like throughout your life, you've had a lot of people who have criticized you. A lot of people who've said some very mean-spirited and unkind things to you, and yet you've been able to let those just slide off your back and it never seems to bother you. How have you done that? And he said, sit down, my friend. <laughs> and so that indicated to me I was going to learn something important that day. And he said, what I want you to know is that those things have stung very deeply. 
He says, they've been very hurtful, some of those things that have been said by people that I didn't expect to say them. He said, here's the truth. They've hurt very deeply, but at the end of the day, when I go back to my room and I pray and I think, I ask God this question, is there any grain of truth in what they've said? Is there an iota of truth that is, means something for me that my life needs to change? And it's, a, and it's a good question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Because sometimes that criticism does sting. So this spring, uh, Pete, this is where I want you to pause this because I don't want this recorded particularly.
loved best of anybody who's ever been in our history is Jesus who the scriptures say even while we were sinners Christ died for us to make Christ to demonstrate God's love he did that so this God who loves in such a way that is limitless that we can know in increasing measure but I think probably we'll never know all that is offered until we reach glory this God who has this strength, who loves in this way, gives us the strength to love other people. That's starting to make sense. Does that make any sense to you that we could grasp the love of God by knowing that the Lord is good? And the scriptures say this, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And Paul prays that we might have the power to comprehend the love of Christ in its full dimensions, its breadth, and length, and height, and depth. John Stott says this again, and I love this quote, but I couldn't memorize it. He says this, It seems to be legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Let me read that one more time. It seems to me legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. We need this strength that is sometimes expressed in vulnerability. We need the power of God to comprehend. We need his knowledge. We need this Knowledge that is above our own doing. And finally, I want to talk about this word fullness. And how do we understand the fullness of God? It's like when I first became a believer, I couldn't believe how, God, how good God was. You know, I've reached from being a sinner to a sinner who is now forgiven, who stands before God completely righteous because of what Jesus has done. But I didn't know that at the time. And as I grow in Christ, this fullness comes, uh, gets larger in my life and it wells up. And hopefully, hopefully as I continue to dwell in Christ, that others begin to see that, that it becomes a natural outworking of who we are. This fullness cannot be contained. It has to be made known to somebody else. And is that our desire? Do we want to stay and settle for this little experience of who Christ is? Um, not little, but where we appreciate him for giving us salvation, for redeeming us. Or do we want to know him in his full power and in his glory? I love the passage, I think it's Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is complaining to God and he's talking about, just show yourself, and then the people will know that you actually walk with us. Show your glory. And God says, basically, you can't handle my glory. It would blow you away. But wouldn't you like to see God moving time and time again? Wouldn't you like that to be your regular experience? I would. And I think the thing that limits that from happening often is me. Is that I get too busy uh, doing my own thing and what I desire, 
or I protect myself and I stand back where it's safe and I don't enter fully into the presence and I don't enter into the goodness and the vast experience that he wants to give me. Last weekend, Joanne and I were celebrating our um, 28th anniversary. And we went to Niagara-on-the-Lake, and uh, we went cycling for the day. And I don't know if you remember how warm it was last weekend. It was unbelievably hot, cycling around all day. So we did that, and then we um, had a very nice supper, and then we sat in the town of Niagara-on-the-Lake. There's this fountain, or this pond that, I, w- I don't know, maybe 40 yards round. And so we decided after supper, because my feet were basically on fire. (laughs) So we decided to sit at this fountain, and we soaked our feet up to our knees, and it was cool, and it was refreshing, and and I enjoyed it. It was great. But then I noticed there's some kids playing in the fountain. And and here's some famous words from parents. Um, And so there's this cute little girl, I guess about four or five years old, kind of looked like a Cabbage Patch doll. And... and, um, She was in her shorts and her t-shirt, and she was getting into the fountain. She was running around splashing, then she'd move over to the other side, and she met some other kids. And kids just bond quickly, and they get to know each other uh, at that age, and they start splashing each other and whatever. And you hear parents uh, from the sidelines saying, don't get wet. (laughs) Like, only go up to your knees. Don't get wet. I thought, like, rookies, right? Like, (laughs) everybody knows that that kid does not care about whether or not they get wet. Okay, that is a parent's concern. It is not a concern of a four-year-old. So along came a little boy, and the little boy, uh, his parents, I heard it again, they said, now, Jimmy, I can't remember his name, don't get too wet. So Jimmy steps into the fountain, and within, I think, about three seconds, Jimmy, (laughs) full-on right into the fountain, completely drenched and wet. Jimmy experienced the fullness of refreshment that that water had to offer. Here I was, dangling my feet up to my knees. Jimmy, and I have a staff person who always says this too, he said, full on. (laughs) That's what Jimmy was doing. That's what God wants for us, that we would know his fullness. So he desires, he strengthens us, so that we don't have a superficial relationship with him. He wants our roots to go down deeply. He wants us to love unconditionally, in an unprotected way. And I'm not saying here don't ever have boundaries, but don't use your boundaries as an excuse to enter into people's world. And that's a fine line we have to figure out. But enter to where people need to know that they are loved. Be with them. Try to learn and to experience the knowledge that God has to offer. He wants to give us more than we presently know in increasing measure. He wants to give it in fullness. He is incapable, the passage actually says this, um, by the means of his glorious riches. That means that his resources are boundless. That he doesn't want us to settle for this minuscule thing but to experience this great fullness of God that he has to offer. And who knows what he wants to do with your life? Only him. I was reading the other day, um, one of my heroes, and I'll close with this story, one of my heroes in history is a guy named William Wilberforce. 
And back in uh, January, I was in London, England, and I was visiting with a, a former student who used to be in my ministry who's now a financial lawyer in the district of downtown London. Um, and I walked past this sign, this little plaque on a wall, and it says, Clapham sect, which won't mean anything to you, but William Wilberforce and some of his contemporaries um, used to meet. Wilberforce was a member of the British Parliament, so he and some of his other friends who were Methodists, they used to gather and they would pray together and they would seek to make change in the world and they were particularly distraught about two things. Uh, the first thing was something that we call the Reformation of Manners. Uh, there, were public, there was public drunkenness that they thought had gone rampant, leading to violence and so on, so they wanted to change that. And that's a pretty tall order, right? To change this public drunkenness, this fighting, all the bad things that went with it. But the other one was even bigger, and that was the abolition of slavery. And so I believe somewhere around the 17, late 1760s, they began to uh, put a bill together, and they put it before Parliament, and then they fought for years and years and years to get that passed. Now, you need to understand this, that 80% of the economy in Britain at that time was built upon slavery in one form or another, supporting industries, whatever the case was, he tried again and again. From 1769 uh, to 1775, it didn't pass. To 1785, it didn't pass. To uh, 1805, it didn't pass. Uh, one time, they thought it would pass in the early 1800s, and some of um, his supporters didn't show up because they thought it was a done deal, and it didn't pass. Shortly before he was to die... I believe it was in 1809, I'm not certain of the dates here, you can look it up. But in 1809, after 40 or so years of struggle, they finally passed the act that would abolish slavery. Now do you not think that William Wilberforce, probably around year 8 or 9, said this is discouraging? <laughs> Like around six, year 16 or 17, do you not think he might have said, I want to give up? <laughs> do you not think that he ever said, maybe around year 22 or 23, God, where are you? But then finally, God showed all that he wanted to do. And shortly before William Wilberforce died, this thing became reality. His love was incredible. William Wilberforce. But there's one whose love was even greater that gave him the strength. And that's our God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity that we have to gather on this beautiful day that you've created. Father, I pray that we could know your goodness and your love in increasing measure. Father, that we would be overwhelmed with who you are. That we could not contain what you want to say and what you want to do in our world. Lord, so that you may receive the glory that is due your name. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you even as we close now. But Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, that you would strengthen us. That we may love well. We pray in the name of Jesus.